near that. My lessons consist of, of me asking a ton of questions. Um, and then I'll play, and then I'll do something like, oh, and then start again. And my teacher just laughs at me over and over again um, at all the sounds I make. So I'm jealous. I don't even know how to use the pedal that she was using. So I was watching her foot the whole time. That's great. Um, well, happy Mother's Day. Uh, I, uh, I know that's been said multiple times, um, but I, I realize this is my third year in a row of, of getting to teach on Mother's Day. Um, this year's message is not a Mother's Day message, although um, the Israelites grumble in this passage. So mothers, you know what that's like, right? Um, we, we just told um, our kiddos the other day that um, like the only thing Lynn's wants for Mother's Day is, is family pictures. We haven't gotten family pictures since we adopted Maddie. And, and the questions are like, well, how long is it going to take to get mother, or these pictures? And we're like, I don't know, a couple hours? And you'd swear, like, my son was shot. He's, oh, like grumbling. So, um, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> uh, so we're in Exodus chapter 15. Uh, last week, we, we, we just came out of, of this, this celebration, this song. God had, had rescued them very clearly. It was by God's hand that they had been rescued, and they break out in song and dance. Um, and then we come to chapter 15, uh, or the end of 15, um, and, and they, they set out, um, and, and they're going a few days, and they run out of water, right? They run out of water. Um, they can't find any water. They finally find some water. Uh, they go to drink it, and it's bitter, right? They, they cannot drink it. Um, so they, they complain, they grumble against Moses and, and Aaron. Um, and, and we're all faced with situations like this, right? It's tough stuff happens in life, and w- what do you do? Are, are, you, are you a complainer, a grumbler? Uh, are you, are you going to solve the problem? Well, Moses, Moses shows us what to do in verse 25. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, or it will uh, be up on the screen. It says in verse 25, and this is Moses, and he cried to the Lord, Right? He cried out to God. So right as soon as we start this passage, as a reader, we're confronted with, with some questions. Am I in the practice of, of going to God? Right? Is this a normal thing for me? Do I, do I seek the Lord? Do I run to Him? Um, or, or do I try and fix things on my own? When do I actually go to God? Is it, is it when things are really, really hard or I'm at the end of my rope or, or, or my continuously seeking the Lord. Um, and as a Christ follower, it should be totally normal. Like this should be like, like a reflex, right? Like when the doctor hits you just below the knee and your leg pops, like this, this should be what we do. Uh, I remember uh, when Lindsay and I became first-time home buyers, um, the house closed, we moved in, and, and there was this moment where, where I realized, I don't know if I really even talked to God about the biggest purchase of my life. Like, I'm sure I prayed, Lord, help me get this house. I really want it. It is hardwood floors. But I wouldn't call that, like, seeking the Lord. And, and this is, I use the word Lord there. Like, this is supposedly the driving force of my life, this relationship with, with Jesus. And I don't know that I really gave him the time of day. So we continue on verse 25. It says, And the Lord showed him a log. And he threw the log into the water, and the water became sweet. This log thing's kind of weird. Don't read into it. God's just showing that, that clearly he's, he's the one that, that's, that's providing. He's the one that's, that, that fixed this water. It's not some special log. It's, it's a special God um, that can do anything he wants. And it says, There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule 
he tested them. So Israel is, is learning to, uh, to follow God. Um, this whole relationship for this generation is a new thing, right? This is the God of their fathers, um, but they really didn't know how to trust God. They're, they're just learning how to trust God. Um, they just saw God's miraculous work in, in rescuing them from the Egyptians through the Red Sea, um, but they're not used to going to God for, for what they need. They're, they're not used to that at all. But God is good, and he, he's teaching them that. He's teaching them that, that he, is, he is good, he is worthy of, of, of being trusted, and he's teaching them in this relationship how, how it's going to work. He's establishing boundaries, and we don't, we don't like, most of us, I think, we don't like rules. We don't like to hear that we're being tested. We, we don't like boundaries. Um, but we know that those are good for us. If you're a parent, you, you, you do those things w- with your kids, right? If we don't, um, well, it's like Lord of the Flies, if you've read that book. Like, if I, if I didn't give my kids boundaries, they would probably eat nothing but sugar. And they would not brush their teeth. Uh, that would not be good for them, right? And, and as adults, our sugar might be different. But, man, we, we need... We need those boundaries of protection that, that God gives us. Um, so verse 26, God, God through Moses lays out what, this, what these, these boundaries are, what this statute, this rule is. It says, if you diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord. Your healer. So God gives a a simple uh, principle to understand. I'm not saying it's simple to follow, but simple to understand. If you obey, I will bless you. If you disobey, you will be cursed. There there will be results. And in, in that with the word obey, my guess is we, we don't like that word. And I wonder what it was like for Israel to hear that they needed to obey. Uh, they their context was they just came out of slavery. Um, so they knew, they knew the, the piece, if you disobey, there are consequences, right? They got that. I don't know that they necessarily felt the blessings of obeying as a slave. Um, but they were well-versed in what happened if they disobeyed. But God is nothing like the slave masters of Egypt. God is actually good. And even though we might cringe when we think about having to obey God, um, I think it's because we don't really know, we don't really believe Sometimes that, that he is good. It can be hard for us to believe that, that where God is leading us or what he's leading us into will ultimately be for good. Um, but God is, is so gracious. Throughout this story with the Israelites and their exodus, we see over and over again God's grace. I'm, I'm continuously surprised. And what he does next, he, he leads them to, um, to this place that it, it's like a desert resort. There's, there's great water all over. There, there's all of these palm trees where, where they can rest. So, so God responds to them. He provides for them. He pours out his grace on them. So life is hard. They grumble. They complain. Moses cries out to God. God provides for them. He instructs them on how this relationship will work well. And, and then he shows them grace. On um, 16.1, they, they pack up, and, and they're moving on to the next place. And they end up in uh, what's called the wilderness of sin, right? Which sounds a little sketchy. It's not like the Vegas of wildernesses. Um, 
it, but but the word wilderness um, is uh, is midbar, and, and I found something that was really helpful for me, a description of what midbar means. It says the midbar was was vulnerable to strong winds. It supported meager vegetation and fauna, and often had saline soil. It could be associated with formlessness and chaos. Right, and if if you've heard the creation story, that that, that should take you back to, to before. The world was formed. It was it was it was formless. It was chaotic. It was void, and, and the spirit was hovering there. So it was, uh, so the midbar, the wilderness, could be associated with formlessness and chaos. Over half the occurrences of midbar are connected with, with this 40 years of Exodus wanderings, um, and ultimately, uh, God is going to make this wilderness like Eden. Isaiah 51:3. I think we'll have that on the, the screen for you. It says, for the Lord comforts Zion, he comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of a song. So God's going to restore this wasteland and, and, and make it into Eden. And my guess is even better than Eden. And this is where history is, is going. This is where the story of Scripture is going. He's working out his plan to redeem them, his plan to save as many as will respond to Jesus, and that will, will culminate in the new heavens and the new earth. So Israel's wandering in, in the desert, this wasteland, but where God is ultimately bringing them and us to is, is Israel 2.0, or Israel 2.0, Eden 2.0. Um, but Israel has no idea that that's what's coming, right? Right now, they're in the middle of this wasteland. Verse 2 says, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses, and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by meat pots, which time out. They were not sitting by meat pots, okay? They they remember it differently than it was. I guarantee the Egyptian slave masters didn't say, Hey, why don't you guys take a break from your brick making? You did a good job today. We have meat pots for you, right? That did not happen. That's not how it went down. But this is in their grumbling. This is what they remember. So when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So these people are hangry, right? I didn't know about hanger for a while. I'd never heard the term before. And, and then when I heard the term, a lot of things made sense with some people I knew, and I won't say names. Um, I don't get hangry. <laughs> uh, some people do. Israel does. Um, so so we, we know how this goes down, right? Like one person starts complaining, and, and others, maybe they're a little upset, but they're not really upset yet, but they, the others complain, and it, it just it spreads around like, a, like, like wildfire. And, and, and it, Moses writes that the whole congregation, right, all of Israel, um, is is grumbling. Um, and, and Moses had just modeled, like, what what do we do when we need something? We go to God. He cried out to God, and instead of going to God, instead of seeking God, they, they grumble. And grumbling is easy, right? It's it's way easier to grumble than than to trust God and, and walk in obedience. Um, Walking in obedience. Is, is much, much harder. So we don't often do like audience participation. I do this in youth group all the time, but I'm going to ask you a question. I'm actually, I want you to respond. So 
what do you grumble about? Or if that's too personal, what have you seen others grumble about? So what do you grumble about? What do you complain about? Traffic, weather, of course, right? Car breaks down, yes. What else? Cleaning, I like that. Yes, huh? Messes, yes. Who likes messes? No one. Work, yes. Bosses, who said that? I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah, you'll own it. Good, good. What else do you complain about? <laughs> Dan is the worst person at waking up that I have ever met. I don't have time to tell you about it, but he's bad at that. We, it's so easy to grumble and complain, right? I don't know why, but when I first got married, like the worst news that you could give me was that we had laundry to fold just before bed. And I, I just, like, that was my hangry, right? Like, that, I was terrible. I'm finally over it. We have four kids now. It's like laundry is, like, breathing. Um, folding laundry, we just have to do it all the time. But, uh, man, we, we're so quick to, to complain and, and to grumble rather than trusting God and seeking Him. Uh, Philippians 2.14 says this about grumbling. It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Right? Everything. All things without grumbling or disputing. And I don't have 15 up here. I should have put it up there. But it says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Or some translation says stars in the world. So Paul commands this church, the Philippian church, that they're not to grumble. And, and the reason is that they're not to grumble or complain is so that they will protect their, their testimony because we are to be like these neon signs that point to how incredible God is. It points to this, this world that has fallen apart, that there is a Savior. And, and when, we, when we're known as grumblers and complainers, man, why would anyone want to be like us, right? Why would anyone want what we have? Uh, several years ago, actually probably a decade ago, um, a uh, good friend, his his dad died uh, from complications with with stomach cancer, and I went to the memorial service really just to support my friend. Like I'd I'd met his dad, but I didn't know him, um, and it was uh, it, it was one of the top three um, memorial services I've ever been to. I don't, I don't know if you've been to a service where uh, you just you walked away inspired. You're like, man, that that is how I want to live my life. Well, Steve. Uh, Man, there was just story after story after story about how this guy loved Jesus and how he loved people. But the story that, that has always stuck with me was uh, from, uh, from, from his pastor, who was a good, good friend. Um, they'd known each other for, for a long time and gotten really close. And uh, just before Steve's uh, treatment was about to get really rough and, and he was going to be in a lot of pain, um, it, it, was just, it was just going to be a great struggle. He, he came uh, to his friend. And he just said, don't let me be a complainer. Like, I don't want that. I know this is going to be so hard. And I don't want to be, I don't want to be someone that just grumbles and, and complains. So Israel, 16.4 here. How will God respond to, to them being gripers? It says, then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. Right? They, he, he's going to test them. He's going to provide 
They're to go out and gather what they need, not more, not less. And God's going to test them. And, and like I said, we don't like tests, right? Maybe a, a couple of you like tests, but for the most part, we don't like being tested um, pretty early in marriage. Um, Lynn's in here. No. Oh, no. She would smile. <laughs> it's not like I'm, Yeah, anyway. Um, so we're like eight months into marriage, and I walk in the house, and Lindsay says, do you notice anything different about me? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, gosh. And seek the Lord, right? I'm praying, like, God, help me. Help me figure out what's different. And I have no clue, okay? So we, I don't think we'll ever know the whole truth of this until we stand before the Lord and he tells us. She claims she got like, I want to say four to six inches cut off her hair. I'm saying it was like inch and a half max, right? I didn't notice it at all. And now, ever since then, right, this is almost 16 years later, I'm hypersensitive to women and haircuts, right? Like, like if I know you and I think you got a haircut, I am going to ask, like, oh, did you get your hair done? It looks awesome. And even if I'm wrong, it's okay, right? So, um, that could be a standalone story, but then, not too long after that, I walk in the house, and she says, do you notice anything different? Yeah. And I'm looking at her hair. I mean, she just got a haircut. It's not like she's doing it again. I don't, I can't tell anything. And she had done half her face with makeup and half not. And I didn't know. <laughs> And I'm just, babe, you don't need makeup. Like, you are beautiful. That's what I'm trying to communicate. Um, but we we do not like tests, right? I had a professor at Bible College. Um, Matt has this professor, Dr. Koi Bisto. We called him uh, Dr. Koi Borkian, if, if you get that reference at all. He was hard. He was my favorite professor, but he was hard. I walk into my first test with him freshman year. And, and, and in Bible college, you pray before a test, right? I mean, in, in normal school, if you know Jesus, you still pray. Or maybe even if you don't, you pray. But Bible college, we all pray. Like, it's the thing we do. So he prays. I'm thinking, this is awesome. And then he starts praying. And, 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 and at some point in the prayer, he says, Lord, do not let them remember the information they've crammed. And I'm like, what? <laughs> that is not in the Bible. I'm sure of it. So I don't know if God responded to his prayer, but it didn't matter because it's in my head. I'm like, is God going to stop me because I was not the best studier? So then the next time you walk into that test and, and like you're ready, right? Not because you studied, but you're ready to start praying before he prays. Like, Lord, would you not listen to this righteous man on this one day? So God, God's going to test Israel, right? He's going to provide for them. Will, will they trust him? Will they be obedient to him? Verse 5. It says, on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So each day, a person was supposed to get what, what they needed, right? Not, not hoard extra for the next day. Um, and, and if you do, if they did, it would, it would breed worms and it would stink terribly. But, but the sixth day was, was different. They'd gather twice as much. They'd prepare it. They'd eat one day's worth and then save the next for, for the day of rest. So on that day, the sixth day, or the seventh day, God's saying, don't, don't go out, right? I've already given you what you need. You're to rest, you're to rest in me and, and, and trust in me. And last week, I, I, uh, I talked about the, the old scales, right? I, I, on the one side, 
we have an appropriate view of God, like understanding who God is, how good he is, how trustworthy he is, powerful, loving, all, all the things that we know about God. On the other side, we, we have our anxieties and our concerns. And, and, and when we have an appropriate view of God, right, man, it way outweighs these things. Like the, trusting God is, is much, much easier. But, but when we have an inappropriate view, when we don't really know how good God is, these things are so big and it's, it's so hard to trust, but, but God is, is, is good, and he's testing them. And I think Deuteronomy helps us, um, helps us understand what God was after in this testing. So a couple of verses for you that, that we'll have on the screen. Deuteronomy 8.2, God says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Right. So Deuteronomy is looking back on, on what, we're, what Israel's just starting here in Exodus 15. Uh, these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep God's commandments or not. There's, there's a heart connection to obedience, right? There's a heart connection to o- obedience and, and trusting the Lord. God doesn't want a bunch of rule followers. He, he wants a bunch of people that will follow him, and, and that comes from, from our hearts. Deuteronomy 8, 16, this is God again. He said, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which is the name for the, the, the bread, that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do uh, to do you good in the end. Right? God, God is good. He He does good. He knows what's good. I, I think I know what's good, but I have an extensive history of being wrong about what is good. Uh, Romans eight twenty eight and twenty nine says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, right? Everything, right? From the worst thing that can happen in life to the best, the whole spectrum. We know that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And then 29 helps us understand what that good is. It says to be conformed to the image of his son. So our worst case scenario, if you are a Jesus follower, your worst case scenario is God is making you more and more like Christ. That's awesome. Right? We can trust, even in the wilderness, right? the most desolate, formless, chaotic place, that God is doing good, and that's making you more and more like Jesus. But so often, it, it does not feel like that. It can feel like God maybe is playing with us, like he, he's toying with us, that, that there's no purpose in, in what he's doing. Um, this is going to seem silly, but uh, Karate Kid, the original, great movie. So good that I didn't see the second one because there's no way it's as good. Um, but Mr. Miyagi, I don't know, did anybody see this? Nobody's like, okay, good, thank you. You didn't love it like I did, weird. Um, so Daniel's son, right, moves to California. He's got friend, friend issues, right? There's these cool kids that are actually really mean, and they're into karate. They've got their sensei. They're at Cobra Kai, studied under that sensei. Daniel's son meets Mr. Miyagi, who's a sensei, and I think he does it for free uh, with Daniel's son. So he tells him, like, hey, I'm going to train you, more or less, right? So Daniel's son comes over, and he's ready, right, thinking he's going to learn to kick and punch. And, and, and what does Mr. Miyagi have him do? Like, all day. Yeah, wax, wax on, wax off, right? He's waxing all these old cars. Yes, we're getting into this now. I like that. Um, he has him paint boards up and down, right? And then he has him like stand on this log, 
right? It's up there, and and Danielson has no idea what's going on, right? He's like, what? What, what is this crazy old man doing? Like, he has no idea that Cobra Kai is going to kick him in the foot, and Danielson's going to need to be able to jump off one leg and kick him in the face in order to win the competition, right? Like, Mr. Miyagi looks crazy, and, and that's such a ridiculous little illustration, but sometimes we feel like God is just messing around with us, like, why are you putting me through this, Lord? Like, why am I doing this right now? This doesn't make any sense. And we, we question, like, does God even know what he's doing? I know that other time he knew what he was doing, but he, does he actually, like, is he paying attention to me? Verse 6. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know what it was, or you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. Right? They they've they've targeted it towards Moses and Aaron, but but Moses says, No, this is against the Lord. For what you uh, for what are we that you grumble against us? Verse 8. And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening, meat to eat, and in the morning, bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Right? He's talking about Moses and Aaron. What are we? Your grumbling isn't against us, but it's against the Lord. Israel w- was, was grumbling against God. Verse 9, Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling, And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Right, The cloud was was with them, but there's something that was different. Somehow God showed them, like, I am here. I am the Lord, your God. Verse 11, And the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. So God's grace is all over this thing, right? One of the things that that does bug me in life is when my kids complain about food, right? When they complain about something that we've made, I I get upset. And what I want to do is, like, yank the good food away and give them something that's still good for them but not pleasant, right? Like cold oatmeal or something terrible, I hate oatmeal, so cold oatmeal is the worst. Um, but man, God is—he's so—he's so gracious with them. Like He—he he responds with this, with promising to be their provider, and and and, and telling them, no, you're gonna know, you are going to know that that I am the Lord your God. So in verses 13 and 14, uh, God brings in all, all these quail. And, and their whole time in the desert, they won't have quail. But, but this time he gives them tons and tons of quail. And, and, and then there's this strange flake-like thing that's, that's covering the ground. This is the bread from heaven. And apparently it was tasty. It tasted like, uh, like wafers with honey, verse 31 says. So verse 15 says, When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? Which that's what manna means is what is it right? that's how they named it that for they did not know what it was and Moses said to them it's the bread that the Lord has given you to eat that is what the Lord has commanded gather of it each one of you as much as he can eat you shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent take an omer right so what is an omer basic 
Bible study tool that like everyone needs in their toolbox. Like this is like your Phillips screwdriver, right? So you, you come to scripture, there's something you don't know, you you go to scripture first to try and understand, right? You're looking at the context, you're looking within that chapter, within the book or the Old Testament or the whole Bible, right? So fortunately, verse 36 helps us understand what an omer is. An omer is the 10th part of an ephah, right? Everybody has an ephah. Um, so an omer actually is two quarts about. Um, uh, so, so God tells him, you, you're going to go out, you're, you're going to gather an, about an omer each day. Um, so verses 17 and 18, they, they go out and, and they get as much as they need. No one was in need. Everyone had as much as they needed. And each day they were faced with the question, do I trust that God will meet my needs again today? He did it yesterday. He did the day before that. Man, is he going to do it again today? Like, do I really believe? that God will be my provider, that he's going to keep this up. Verse 19, Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it until morning. All right, they were supposed to trust that, that God would provide for them each day, so they weren't supposed to leave leftovers. Verse 20 says, but they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them because they didn't trust they had to keep some because they didn't know if God was really going to come through. Days six and seven were, were different. I, I know I mentioned this before, but um, every other day, they gather what they need, they eat it, next day, repeat, right? Days six and seven were different because on day six, God was going to provide enough for them to gather twice as much as they would need. So they, they would gather enough for day six and for day seven because on the seventh day, they, they were to rest. And Matt, in a few weeks, is going to talk more about the Sabbath rest. But in verse, uh, verse 23, Moses gathers all the leaders and he gives them these instructions. He says to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over, lay it aside to be kept until morning. So they laid it aside till morning as Moses commanded them and it did not stink. And there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. But in verse 27, some of them go out anyway. Like some of them go out to gather. They didn't, they didn't trust. Um, they didn't trust that, that God really was going to do what he said he would do. And, and it's tough for us to trust someone else. It's tough for me to trust someone else to, to do something like it takes a lot um it takes a lot of relationship building to 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 believe that yep they're going to come through because uh it's hard for me at least to not be in control of things like i don't, I don't think i'm a control freak but i still want to be in control uh, of things and and letting jesus be lord means that we're letting him have control like we let him call the shots in life verse 28 and the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that you may see the bread uh, with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar. Put an omer in it, uh, 
put an omer of, uh, of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout their generations. God wanted them to remember, I provided for you, right? I, I over and over again, this is what I provided. And I hope that, uh, that all of us, we, can, we have a catalog of like, okay, man, when this hard thing hit in life, God met me right there. And, and, and this time, you know, when, when there was that diagnosis, God met me right there. Or when my job was in question, God met me right there. Or when my kid started doing things that scared me, God met me right there. Over and over again, like we have to remember how God has been faithful to us so that we can keep trusting him, so that we can keep obeying him. Verse 35 says, the, Lord, uh, the people of Israel ate manna for 40 years until they got, uh, until they got to the, the land that he had promised them. So God did all this to test Israel to see if their hearts were, were really going to follow. And he was, he was helping them learn to trust. Um, but ultimately, all this, this heavenly bread, um, was, it was pointing to Jesus. It was pointing to, to more than just this physical need that, that we need God to provide for us physically, but, but that, no, we need God spiritually. We need him to, to be our bread. So Jesus connects the manna to himself in, in John chapter 6. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. There's a, a ton of verses there that we could take from. But Jesus, uh, Jesus says in John 6, 32, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. John 6:51. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh, right? Jesus says that bread that God provided was good, but I'm the bread. I'm the bread of life. It's through me that God is providing for you to have life now and forever. Um, so we're, we're going to sing. The band can come up. Um, we're going to worship God through, through songs. We have our communion tables, uh, and, and communion is, is a meal that, uh, that Jesus told us to take repeatedly so that we could remember we could remember that, that he, he is the bread of life. He's the one that provided for us. So we, we take the bread and, and dip it in the cup. And please don't feel rushed. Like I know sometimes the line gets long, but don't feel rushed to take it right away. Like you can step to the side and pray. You can go back to your, your chairs and pray. Um, our prayer team is going to be up here too. If you'd like prayer for anything, right? if letting go, if being in control, is something that is so difficult for you to, to, to trust God with. Um, or if there's something specific right now that you know God's calling you to trust, um, come up and, and, and let someone pray for you. Let them love you in that way. So I'm, I'm going to pray now. Jesus, you, you are so good, Lord. Um, and and on, some, on some level, I know that. And, and yet tomorrow, I might face something really hard, and I'm going to be faced with the question again, do I trust you? Do I really believe that you are good? Will I walk in obedience with you, Lord? Jesus, we, we are a fickle people. Um, we, we, man, I don't want to have to walk around for 40 years in the desert. I, I don't want to waste time, Lord. I, I, wanna, I want to trust you now. Help me in that. Help us in that, Jesus. God, can we worship you in truth right now, Lord? Will you point... Through, through the, the words of these songs, Lord, will you point to how awesome you are, how great you are, God, how absolutely worthy of our worship you are. In your name we pray, amen.